to you. And uh, let me welcome you this morning. Uh, there will be an official welcome here in just a little bit. I was uh, wondering why there are so few people that are here this morning. And uh, apparently the word got out that uh, Alex was not going to make it this morning. And so uh, you're stuck. <laughs> I want to welcome those of you that are uh, worshiping with us online. Uh, of course, it doesn't make a substitute for church because church means to do what? To gather, to assemble, to come together. And, uh, and we have several special things for you today. Got a wonderful baptism, as all are, but uh, just a sweet baptism and one of our dads being able to participate in that. Uh, but today begins the, uh, the Advent season, and it means uh, the coming. It's actually from uh, a New Testament word, uh, the parousia, or parousia, is, uh, which means coming. And so we have both the first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord. And uh, as we begin this season... Uh, Today's theme is hope, and uh, our understanding of hope is a confident expectation. It's not just a wish something would happen, but it's expecting something to happen. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the uh, waiting for the birth of a child. Uh, you know it's coming, and you just don't know when. And uh, children come when they're good and ready to come. And so it is with the coming of our Lord. Uh, and so uh, I, as we begin the service this morning, I want to open up in a word of prayer as we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look, would you join me in prayer this morning? And so dear Heavenly Father, it is our heart privilege to be able to come before you this morning giving you thanks that we have a certain hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, to be ready uh, for the returning of the Lord Jesus. For Lord you have said in the scripture that uh, uh, no man knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord. And we are to live in constant expectation of that. So we thank you for saving us from our sins so that we can look forward to your return. And uh, we confess to you that we don't always live in that hope and expectation. And uh, it's our heart to do so. And so help us this day. Prepare our hearts to be filled with joy and hope uh, so that when the Lord returns, it will be with great expectation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing just a, a few hymns this morning. And uh, I took some archaeology classes back uh, in uh, seminary. And they came in handy because I had to go, go on an archaeological dig to find this. Do you all know what that is? It's a hymn book. And uh, I would say if you have a hymn book, turn to hymn number 213. But uh, you don't. Stand with me as we sing together because he lives. This is why we have hope. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he lived and died to buy my Born baby 
seated and I'm going to ask you to draw your attention to the baptistry. Well good morning everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I would like to welcome you here. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family and I would like to welcome you here if you're a guest. Uh, Glad you are joined us this week and uh, thrilled to be back together again. Uh, I've been gone the last month uh, in Taiwan, uh, bringing home our youngest, Sophie. Uh, And uh, thank you so much for your prayers, your support uh, over the last month. Greatly appreciate it. It is, uh, it's good to be back, and it's good to be back together. And so we have a, it is always a privilege, one, to gather together as uh, the body of Christ, but also to gather together to rejoice in God's uh, work in the life of someone to bring them into, uh, into the family of Christ, to adopt and bring someone who is lost, to find them and to save them by the grace of Christ and make them uh, a child of God. And so baptism is that visible, uh, that, visible re- that visible picture of the spiritual reality of salvation of Christ saving someone who is, who is dark and lost and bringing them by the light of his grace, bringing them into newness of life, of providing uh, life eternal for them. And baptism is that picture of going under the water into the death that Christ has died and raising uh, to walk in newness of life because of what Jesus has done. And so uh, this morning, we have this privilege of witnessing and rejoicing in the work God has done in Lucy Sly's life. And so uh, this morning, she is coming down and coming down with her dad, Jason, and is uh, coming forward in a profession of faith in Christ, recognizing uh, that, that Jesus has come on our behalf and has forgiven her of her sins uh, of all of them, and has has given her uh, life, forgiveness, and uh, promise that he is near, he is with, and that he uh, will will be with her for all of eternity. And so she's come forward professing to trust in Christ. Is that true? Yes. Okay. So it is it is my privilege, and of course your dad's privilege this morning as your dad, uh, as the head of of um, of his household providing for, uh, for his family and also spiritually nurturing and pastoring his, his family to 
to be the one to baptize you and to be the one with you in this moment of, of, um, of taking care of you through this as is his charge and is, is calling for all his life to look after you and to take care of you and to point you to Christ. And so uh, to walk with you not only as your dad, but also your brother in Christ um, in, in what he has done for him and for you. And so it's my privilege and his privilege to, to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. So, welcome. If, uh, if you're a guest with us, there should be a card right in front of you that uh, says communication card, visitor card. I'm not sure. It's been a while. And so uh, grab that and fill that out. We'd love to have a record of you being with us and drop that in the, the offering baskets uh, on the back wall on your way out. We'd love to be able to have an opportunity to reach out to you this week and pray for you, see if there's anything that, that we as a local body of Christ can do for you and uh, possibly meet a need and minister to you. We'd love to have that opportunity if you would uh, drop that off. And so uh, we also have been memorizing Scripture corporately together. And so this, uh, this morning we have uh, a passage from Psalm 135, beautiful bit of Scripture. Let's read it again and, um, and continue to work on that. Has, has that gone well this month? Have y'all had a good time memorizing? Is... Yeah, yeah, good. So this has got to be one of my favorites of the Lord and his authority and his supremacy over all that he has made. And so if you would, let's read it twice uh, and read it with me if you would. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Psalm 135, 5-6. through six. One more time. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Psalm 135, 5-6. through six. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. He is not limited by anyone any circumstance, any situation, no matter how insurmountable in our field of vision something is, God is strong over it. The Lord does all that he pleases, every bit of it, for his glory and for the good of his people, as he has promised to us eternally that he not only does what is his good, what he desires, what it pleases him, but it also pleases him to take care of his people, to look after us, and to provide for his church. Good truth. Good truth. Let's pray, and then we will continue in worship. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promise. God, I thank you that you are sovereign, that, Lord, you have revealed to us, Lord, that at times this is a hard truth, that you are in control of all things. There is nothing that limits your power, and that that in circumstances in our lives, when there are, there are things that don't add up in our minds, we don't understand why people suffer, why terrible evils happen in the world, why horrible things occur, and why it seems like you don't do anything about it, that that looks incongruent in our minds, but we know what your truth is, that you are sovereign over all things. And for whatever purpose, whatever reason, our limited perspectives don't understand, you have an eternal purpose, you have an eternal plan, your arm is not short, and you will be glorified regardless. And it will be good for your people and for the world. So God, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are the Lord. And God, I ask you, God, that you would be exalted this morning, you would draw us to you, that we would hear from you. God, you would be glorified through your word at this time, through the preaching of your scripture, and that, Lord, you would be exalted this week in our lives, that, God, you would draw each of us to you to hear from you, to repent 
of sin and selfishness, and Lord, to fully depend upon your Son by your Spirit. So God, I thank you, Lord, and I ask that God, you'd be with us, you'd be glorified. In your Son's name I pray, amen. Well, amen. And uh, it was so good to see Lucy confessing faith in Christ, building her life on the foundation, which is the Lord Jesus. So would you join me in standing as we sing another hymn, Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I hate to interrupt the song, but I'm just curious. How many of uh, you don't remember singing this? I'm just curious. Or you may never have sung it. Got it? Got, all right. Mary Alice, I've never sung it. A few of you haven't. This is kind of the way it used to look like 50 years ago. And since I'm older than 50, I got stuck with doing the hymns. And I hope you enjoy them. Uh, they were written by some wonderful people. Uh, and uh, they are great messages in these songs. So uh, our foundation is Christ. So when we sing this second verse, when darkness veils his lovely face, it's a picture of the fact that unless grace through Christ has touched us, we will not be, be able to know who he is. So really singing out with joy in your heart for what Christ has done. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So when he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, Dressed in his righteousness alone, Faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Some of you uh, were here a few years ago, right after uh, Hurricane Michael came through Mexico Beach. My father-in-law uh, built a house there, and he's a structural engineer. And uh, I wish I had put the picture up, but uh, built it such that it wouldn't fall apart. Uh, he had another engineer come and do uh, some uh, studies on the ground and uh, said it was not necessary that they put down piling in the sand. The house built where? On the sand. And when Hurricane Michael came through, we have wonderful pictures of the house on its side. It's totally intact. It didn't lose any of its structural integrity as far as the house concerned. He did a great job designing his house. But somebody else did a terrible job of building a house on the sand. It's my prayer that Christ indeed is the foundation of your life and your life is built on 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to kind of introduce our Advent season, Christmas season, we're going to sing a Christmas carol this morning. Kids, it begins with this word, hark. And you know what the word hark means? Listen. Okay, so as we sing, hark the herald angels sing, do it with joy in your heart and soul. Suggested since they found out I was leading the songs this morning that we only sing one. Come on, enjoy it, enjoy it. Uh, but you are the singers. Uh, God has given uh, you an instrument that I hope you remember. You may not be able to play the piano, the organ, the violin, the cello, the flute. You may not be a flautist or uh, whatever else, but you've been given a voice, and uh, we are encouraged to let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and we're to sing unto the Lord a new song, and that is a great gift that God has given you of a voice, and so use it for His glory. Uh, this morning, uh, the title of the message is Our Blessed Hope. Uh, hope is the theme uh, for uh, this beginning of our Christmas season and so if you have a copy of God's Word turn to Titus chapter 2 uh, verses 11 through 14 and uh, if uh, you don't have a copy with you they will come up on the screen uh, but I wanted to pick a passage of scripture that talked about both his first and his second coming that's where our hope is our hope is not that uh, just that he has come, but that he's also coming again uh, to receive us unto himself. So beginning in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, 
And that's our word uh, for Advent, okay? Uh, our, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So that's how we're to live because Christ has come and saved us. But also, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people who are zealous for good works. Would you join me again in a word of prayer? And Father, this morning we do want to bow our lives before you, Lord, in a, in a world that's constantly changing. The news presents us something new every day. And Lord, we've, we've heard about this uh, new variant, Omicron, that's uh, coming uh, our way. And, uh, and Lord, uh, if, if, our, if our vision, if our eyes are placed solely on what we can see with the physical eye, then Lord, uh, uh, our hope is very diminished. Our, our hope is unsecured. Our, our hope is really a wish and a desire. But Lord, thank you that you have given us spiritual eyes to see and to know that through Christ Jesus that we have an, an eternal hope, one is, that is secured. It's like an anchor that has gone before us and it is in heaven. And it fits us for this life so that when uh, uh, life storms do come, Lord, we're not blown over, uh, but we stand strong, we stand firm. And then, Lord, for our future that it is secure in heaven. We pray for our church body, those that are sick today, those that are going through trials and difficulties, some who are traveling back from being with family. Uh, we pray for their safety and security, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a term that uh, you don't hear very often in church, but it's true in uh, studying the Bible, and it's the term, the 400 years of silence. And... Uh, I, I don't know if you, if you think about that very much, and, uh, but you and I have to, to realize that in the Old Testament, we have one prophecy after another that God was going to send a remedy for man's sin. It's even prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. And, and so the prophecy of a Messiah coming and taking away our sin debt, paying it for us, redeeming us, making us to be his own children, both now and for eternity, is a theme of the Old Testament. Even when you and I look at all the sacrificial system, reading through the book of Leviticus when we do, and we see the priests that are there and the instructions that are given, the detail that is given. You and I can't miss but the fact that God says there is a payment for sin. The wages of sin is death. But there's a gift that God offers which is his son. There is a gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, when we have a conclusion of the Old Testament, there is a, a silence. Uh, kind of to help me out, I got the uh, kid's answer book to give a definition for the 400 years of silence. I did that for your moms and dads, kids. Uh, so they, here, here's what it says. Uh, there were about 400 years between the prophecies of Malachi and the opening of the New Testament. These are called silent years. They're called that because there was no inspired words from God during this time. But there were major political, cultural, and religious changes that prepared the world for the arrival of Jesus. You see, in Galatians, we're told that Jesus came when? At the right time. He came at the perfect time in a world that was living in expectation. Alexander the Great had already had his heyday. But the Lord had used people like Alexander the Great to help shore up trade routes around the whole world at that time. Uh, the Romans had built roads 
The Greek language had become very similar to the world as the English language had come so that you could go far and distance and still be able to speak to someone in, in, in Greek and communicate with them. And so it's in this perfect timing that God set up the coming of His Son to become the Redeemer of the world. And so when we think about what does Christmas really mean, the birth of Jesus, it, it is God coming into this world for the purpose of redeeming us, redeeming a people that would be his own people. So the sermon really has two points. That'll excite you a little bit. First of all, it's the first coming of the Lord, and the second is the second coming of the Lord. Man, you guys are bright, okay? <laughs> Uh, that's about as, anyway. Uh, so the first coming of the Lord, it, it's mentioned here in verses uh, 11 and 12 of uh, Titus chapter 2. And as you look at it, I, I want you to see about his first coming that it was a, a gracious appearing on the part of God. It was a gracious appearing. Look, look again in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. It's been revealed. It's been unveiled to us. The coming of the Lord was dramatic. It happened in such a, such a small way, didn't it? A little young lady uh, who had not been with a man, was not married. She was engaged to be married. Uh, she has a visitation from an angel and tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to conceive a child within her. I read, a, I read a scientific study this past week, believe it or not, uh, that proposed that maybe Jesus only had 24 chromosomes, that he had 23 of Mary's chromosomes and one of divine chromosomes. I don't know. Man made a good argument for it. But the point is, Jesus is not like any other human being because he is all man but he is all God at the same time he is the God man he's the he's the second person of the Trinity he is eternal he has always existed he is infinite uh, he is all-knowing so when we think about this baby born in a manger it's it's hard for us to wrap our brains around the fact that this is actually the eternal God who brought the world into being by his spoken word, who is now in a manger. He's in a crib, uh, in a barn, and uh, he is there for one pe per uh, purpose alone, and that is to bring grace to us. This appearance is, is, is not just uh, God saying something nice to us, it is God appearing to us. It's the appearance of a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, who is not like uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John was written later, and he's re more reflective in his thinking. He's more uh, uh, Greek, if you want to put it that way, in his thinking, more philosophical in his thinking. He begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the, and he calls Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Because in their culture they understood this concept of the Word as being an expression of God. But notice what Jesus says or what John says about Him. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. He's not just an expression of God. He's not just a, a uh, uh, an emanation of God he is actually God come in the flesh and uh, God in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God then when we drop down to verse 14 we see what we call the incarnation God becoming flesh and, and the word became flesh and he dwelt he lived among us he pitched a tent, literally, is what it is. Uh, he, he, he lived in the veil of our flesh. And we have seen His glory. Remember John talks about the glory of the Lord when he writes First John. He, he says, that which we have 
uh, seen with our eyes, that which we have heard with our ears and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. You remember it was John that was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration who saw the, the skin of Christ, as it were, split for a momentary second and the glory of the Lord, the brightness of His glory shone. And in reality to John and James and Peter when they saw that, this is no mere man. This is, this is not just Jesus who was born of Mary. This is God, just exactly what uh, John the baptizer said, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John says we see His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. This appearance of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's grace appearing unto us. If you'll drop down just a few verses uh, down to verse 16, it says, And of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace here and grace there. When you, when you ran into Jesus, what did you run into? Grace. And what is grace? Grace is undeserved love and kindness and forgiveness and salvation. So when you run into Christ, what do you find? You find His grace everywhere you turn. You have a woman who is brought to Jesus. She's guilty of a crime that the law in her day has the sentence of death upon it. And rightly, Jesus could have said, stone her to death. And yet when she comes in humility and brokenness before the Lord Jesus... Jesus does something in her and transforms her and makes a new creature, a new creation out of her. And he asks the questions, you know, where, where are your accusers? And you might remember what Jesus had done. He, he had bent down, he had written in the sand, and we're, we're not clearly told what it is, but the word that speaks of Jesus writing in the sand is the same word that is used in the Old Testament for when God took his finger and wrote the Ten Commandments. And so it's possible that that's what Jesus was writing in the sand. All of these uh, religious people were gathered around and he had written down the Ten Commandments. And as they saw those commandments, it's my sanctified speculation that he started writing names beside them. You know, uh, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You're to have no other gods before him. Oh, he, puts, he starts writing a name down. And as names start going down beside him, people start going away. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. And he says, neither do I condemn you. What did she, what did she experience? She experienced grace that could not only save her from the penalty of her sin, but he could say to her, now go and sin no more. To tell her, I have, I have the power to help you to live victorious over sin in this life. So there is that appearance of a person. It was also the appearance of perfection as well. Because it says he was full of grace and truth. And I think it's important to point out that Jesus was like no other. When Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees in John chapter 8. Uh, he says this about himself or he asked the question of them, which ones of you accuse me of sin? Now he was talking to the religious leaders who knew the law and could have said, well, here's what the law is and write the name of Jesus beside it. But there was nothing that they could accuse him of. And the answer is no man could accuse him of sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, a verse that it's so dear about our justification in Christ. It says, For our sake He the Father made Him the Son to be sin. Who what? Who knew no sin. The testimony of Scripture is that Jesus knew no sin. And we could go to so many passages of Scripture. Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. 
He was the sinless Son of God. The Father says about Him in Matthew chapter 3 as at His baptism. The Father speaks from heaven and He says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus is brought before Pilate and Pilate examines Him uh, to have Him either set free or to be crucified. What's Pilate's confession about Jesus? Now you have to understand, this is, a, this is a governmental authority. This is a person who could easily have said uh, anything about condemnation toward the Lord Jesus. And what does he say? I find no fault in him. There's no guilt in Jesus. I, I've examined this man and there, there's nothing in this man that I can point at where he has done wrong in the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 27 when when he has beheld what has happened at the cross he's heard the words of Jesus he heard Jesus say father forgive them for they do not know what they do when he cried out it is finished and the earthquake took place and uh, uh, satisfaction was made the darkness was upon when this man beholds all of this happening what does he say about Jesus this was the son of God you and I have a perfect savior but I also want us to see a his redemptive appearing so so he came in a very uh, uh, gracious appearing to us, but he also comes to us in a very redemptive appearing. Again, back in Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared to do what? Bring salvation. Bringing salvation for all people. This is the gift of God's grace. The Scripture tells us that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved now you know we we lose I think sometimes the depth of what that word saved really means what does it mean to be saved to be made whole to those who were dead to be made alive again those who were blind spiritually to be made to see those who were deaf and could not hear the Spirit of God speak to their hearts their ears are opened to hear what Christ has said. It's in the next chapter of Titus that he goes on to explain this a little better. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, He did what? He saved us. He made us whole and complete. And He tells us how. Not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to His own mercy. And it's not something that you and I can do apart from the working of God. Notice what He says. It is by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit who He poured out on us richly. It was Martin Luther, the reformer, who, who said, I'm going to preach every Sunday on justification by faith. Because my people will forget every week that they are justified by faith alone. Can you say that again? Do you understand what he's saying? He, what he's saying is, you know, we'll hear about, we are saved not by works that we do. We are saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we walk out the doors and it's not 30 minutes later... That our hearts, because our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, we can fall into the trap of thinking, well, if I just do better, if I treat my fellow man a little bit better, maybe God will love me more. How does God love me? How does He love you? Through the cross of Calvary. Through what Christ did, through His shed blood. So that the Father looks at the Son and He says, I am well pleased in Him. There is no sin in Him. When you and I are born again of the Spirit of God, we are clothed in Christ. He becomes sin in our behalf that we might become righteous in Him. Oh, what a wonderful truth is in this verse of, or passage of Scripture. 
So you see, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that's why he appeared. And then thirdly about this appearing, this first appearing is it's a sanctifying appearing. Now the word sanctify means to make holy. It's transformative. It makes us to be new creations in Christ Jesus. The old sinful nature is not taken out, but a new, new nature is put within us. And it's the nature of Christ. And so Titus 2.12 says, He trains us, training us in this coming of Christ and in the salvation He brings. Training us to do what? Renounce some things. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And then on a positive note, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives when? Now. In this present world. I continue to hear the struggle that you young parents are having right now. You're having this struggle and you're sharing it. You're saying it. What are we to do? Our kids are growing up in a, in a culture and a society that has gone mad. They literally have gone mad. They have taken the things of God and they have squandered them away. They have perverted holiness and righteousness and truth. And your question is, what do I do? How do I raise my children in an environment like this? Well, I think you do it, number one, understanding it's a personal training. It's a personal kind of training. The word here to train, uh, we get our word, uh, I've said this before, it's not a word we use very often, but if you're a teacher, you know what pedagogy is, okay? it's, It's child training. It's training a child. It's a parent training a child. It's teaching your children what to do and how to live. And it can't be something that you just put off on somebody else. Uh, At the end of the service here in just a few moments, we're going to have a child dedication. And in that child dedication, it's a mom and a dad setting apart their child unto the Lord, saying we are going to raise them to know the Lord. But in that, they're going to ask for our help. And it's a church body that comes along and assists them and helps them in doing that. But the reality is, where does the burden fall? The burden falls on the parents. It's the parents' responsibility. So the encouragement here from God's Word is, salvation has come through Christ in His death, buried, and resurrection to personally train your children as well. You're not alone. Y'all aren't alone. (laughs) You have a wonderful Savior, don't you? We could just do the... Dedication right now, couldn't we? I think it would be an appropriate moment. (laughs) You know, you don't do it alone. You have the Holy Spirit of God who is with your children when? Always. When they're off and you're wondering and you're worried. Man, I you know, I, I don't know how my mom and dad made it back when, you know, you had a little crank telephone on the wall and we were out on a date. You know, they couldn't get in touch with us. They had no idea where we were. You know, nowadays, your kids go out on a date, and, you know, my wife, knows, she can follow me on my phone. She knows where I go. I can't get, I can't get away with anything, okay? How, how, do, how do you do that? How do you trust an almighty God to be there with your children? Well, uh, the Scripture says He trains us. Parents train us. Church helps train us. It's personal. But also notice it's purifying. He says to renounce, to deny is what that word means. To disassociate. To say it's no longer a part of who I am. I am a person in Christ. I am not what I once was. And so it's a purifying. It has the idea of distancing ourselves. You know, when you're sitting there wondering, why do I keep getting in trouble? Why do I keep suffering consequences of my sin? Well, you know, you keep putting your face in a a, a fan blade that's buzzing around and wonder, why is my face bleeding? You know, that's 
we know why we have those kinds of feelings of guilt and regret and knowing that we have sinned against God because we're not renouncing. We're not denying and disassociating ourselves and distancing ourselves. God the Holy Spirit is there to help us in doing that. Number three, he says, it's also a training that leads to patience or self-control. Uh, a self-controlled life. A self-controlled life does involve discipline. We're to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. But do not misunderstand, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so you and I can't produce a disciplined enough life to produce the patient self-control that is necessary to live righteously and holy. We have to be dependent on the Lord. We have to be connected to the vine. We have to be walking in Christ. And then lastly here, it's training that is, you're not going to like this word, painful. It's painful. For he tells us, again in these, this verse, to live, he, he, uh, he trains us to live godly lives in this present age. Well, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, there is no easy road in the Christian life. There, there's lots of wonderful blessings. God pours out his mercies on us, his tender mercies on us. But you and I have to remember, it, it is a painful walk to walk as a believer. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says, even about the Lord Jesus, He learned, though He was a son, He learned obedience, how? Through that which He suffered. And so you and I want to reject any type of suffering that comes in our lives. We need to take a change in our disposition toward it and embrace it. And ask the question, what is God trying to teach me? What in the fellowship of His suffering comes at this moment? That's point number one. Oh, you say, man, I thought you were going to be quick. Point number two is quick. <laughs> and that is the second coming. The second coming. Because He says in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. So there's really only two things that He tells us to do while we're waiting. Or, or until he comes. Number one is to wait. And this word wait means to wait with expectation. To wait with expectation. My, my nephew sent me a, uh, an ultrasound this week. And uh, it was his way of announcing that I'm going to be a great uncle again. And when I saw it, now please don't tell him I said this. My first thought was, sure looks like a squid. I kept looking for a baby in that picture, and I could not find a baby in it, okay? But you know what? Apparently there is. Doctor says it's a baby. They say it's a baby. My wife says it's a baby. And why did he send that to me? Well, he, wanted, he sent it to me out of pride. He sent it to me out of uh, joy in his heart. He, he sent it because he wanted to share with me what he can't share with his father who's now in heaven. But he also wants me to be in expectation with him. Waiting with hope. Waiting for our blessed hope is what we do as Christians. Don't let the world steal that away from you. We just studied in Second Peter and Second Peter tells us when the world is saying, where's this coming? You know, yeah, he came 2,000 years ago, but you talk about his coming again. And Peter says, remember with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. His coming is imminent. It'll be here, and you, you and I will not be expecting it unless we're living in this expectation and this hope. And while we're waiting, what are we to be doing? To be working. To be working. Notice what he says in verse 14. Who gave himself, Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. These are bad works, works of unrighteousness. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for what? Good works. 
the good works that God has laid out beforehand that we should walk in them. And I'm just going to give you a quick list of some good works. It's not exhaustive. But when you begin to think about the works of God, here's one, repenting. That's a work that we're to be doing on a regular basis, repenting, to be returning to the Lord. As our hearts depart, and they do tend to depart, we return unto the Lord. Knowing that as we return unto the Lord, He returns unto us. Repenting, confessing, forgiving, sharing with others, both the gospel and our goods, praying, fellowshipping, communing with the Father, spending time with the Father, studying God's Word, that we're not ashamed but approved unto God, persevering, worshiping, serving, giving out grace, receiving of grace, purifying our hearts. And I could go on and on, but when we talk about what am I to be doing, the works of God are the acts that His children are to be carrying out for His glory. And as we do it, there ought to be this expectation that we will receive the result of our investment. 1 Corinthians 9.10 says, Does He not certainly speak for our sake? For it is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow how? In hope. Put that word expectation there. In hope and expectation. And the thresher in hope of doing what? Sharing in the crop. Why? Christ redeemed me, saved me. Why do I persevere? Why do I keep on going? Yes, it's His work in me. But oh, it's a desire of my heart that I, you, might share in what? The bounty, the harvest of Christ. I used to have a lady in my first church where I was the senior pastor. It uh, was a faithful prayer warrior. And there would be times that our church would go through mm, dry times. You go through dry times spiritually. And I know that because you tell me. And I know that because you're human. Okay, we all do. We all go through dry times. Where's God? And, and, and she would come up to me and she would say, uh, Preacher, don't become discouraged. God's word will not return to him void. It will accomplish that to which he has sent it. And I remember one Sunday I was out, out front in the foyer after the service was over. And uh, her name was Mary Nell. And Mary Nell came up to me and she said, Preacher. You have been sowing the seed of the Word of God. Look for the harvest. Look for the harvest. And my friend, i got to tell you, I think when we look at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to remember, why did He come? To save sinners, among whom we are chief. And so if He can save you... <laughs> And he can save me, what can he do? He can save anybody. So while we are waiting for his second return, we are to be looking with expectation, but we're to be sharing the word of God, anticipating sharing in the harvest. And I want to ask you this morning, are you living like that? Are you walking like that right now? Maybe Maybe not. What is the good work? Return to the Lord. Return in the Lord with all of your heart. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Obedience that comes out of that life that where we suffer and find hardship. And just the joy of pleasing our Heavenly Father. So we're going to come to a time of response. Uh, I'm going to lead the hymn. Matthew is going to come and receive anybody that might would come. But I want to ask you to, to re respond to the Lord in your heart. But if you need to come hearing the call of Christ to be saved, then we invite you to come. Or if you need to spend time at the altar, it is open for you to come. Uh, let's bow together in prayer before we respond to the Lord. And Father, we give you...
Thanks for reminding us of the simplicity of the truth. Lord, of what it is to be a person in Christ Jesus. What it is that uh, we have become the beneficiaries of, of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you came to save sinners. You came to pay the redemption price so that we might have eternal life. And so, Father, I now ask that we'd also live uh, lives that are being trained by you, trained by the encouragement of each other, knowing that, Lord, you are going to return. And the return of the Lord is something that we are to encourage one another with. And so we ask you, help us now, Lord, to respond in repentance and faith and hope and assurance to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.